0: Welcome to Come Follow Up. So today we're really excited. We're starting the Doctrine and Covenants, and we are specifically talking about Doctrine and Covenants, Section 1. I'm especially excited to have the opportunity to talk about Harken. I mean, President Nelson has really been focusing on that this last couple of years.
1: Yeah, and I have a lot of questions about what it exactly means to have a a true and living church and maybe how that relates to the ancient church and what it means that we're continually growing.
0: We actually say as members of the church that we belong to the true and living church of of Jesus Christ. And yeah, I think it'll be great. I'm excited.
1: Uh, But before we get into our discussion, maybe we should follow up with what we read.
0: Yeah, sounds great. So we are specifically studying Doctrine and Covenants, Section 1.
1: In this section, the Lord invites all people to hearken unto His voice, and He warns about the consequences of wickedness.
0: He's also going to call upon the weak to accomplish His purposes. And He's also going to talk about them in a language that they can understand.
1: The Lord commands us to search the commandments and tells us that His word will be fulfilled. Now there's obviously a lot of things that we can talk about in this section, but we're going to focus on two things specifically. Uh, The first is what it means that the church is a true and living church, and the second is what does it exactly mean to hearken or to heed and obey.
0: In addition to that, we're also going to talk about some of the contextual things that we need to know about the Doctrine and Covenants, some of the history and background. And in order to do that, we have asked Steve Harper to come and join us today as we are talking about this section. Welcome, Steve. Steve, if you can come join us.
1: Now, Steve Harper is a professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. He was the general editor of the volume Saints, published by the church. Um, Welcome, Steve. We're we're grateful to have you here and
2: learn from you. Thanks. Good to be here with both of you and all of you.
0: Steve has done a lot with church history. I'm wondering if you could just teach us, all of us, a little bit more about the context of the Doctrine and Covenants.
2: Yeah, maybe I'll plagiarize, right, from the historical introduction to the Doctrine and Covenants. It tells us that it's a collection of divine revelations, Mm -hmm. so... The doctrine comes as 140 documents, most of them revelations from Jesus Christ to Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. And so it's unparalleled. It's our only book of modern scripture. It was originally given, for example, in English. And one of the things it does most interestingly, is deals with, as the historical introduction says, real-life people in real-life situations.
1: And how is it structured? Is it,
2: does it progress chronologically, or is it mixed up a little bit? It generally progresses chronologically, but mm-hmm. several of the sections are out of chronological, order, including mm-hmm. section one, mm-hmm. our topic today.
0: Before we go into that, Steve, maybe you could just give us an idea of how was Joseph receiving these sections of the Doctrine and Covenants?
2: Well, they came in different ways to him. If he had a question he already was conscious of, He would take it to the Lord in prayer. His history is full of the phrase, we inquired of the Lord or I inquired of the Lord. And so section one came like that. Section three, uh, four, five, six. Uh, Others came in different ways. Section 27, he didn't have a question. He was going to get sacrament wine and he didn't know it would be a problem to buy it from people who might not have his best interests at heart. So an angel met him and told him he had a problem and gave him a revelation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, the sections came out of the blue and most frequently though they came because he had a a problem or a question that needed resolving and he sought and received revelation.
0: Does anyone have a question that you would like to ask before we get started into this section? Does the Doctrine and Covenants correlate with the Abrahamic Covenant and its promises?
2: It sure does. Steve,
0: please go ahead.
2: Yeah, uh, section 1 tells us that one of the major reasons why the Lord gave the covenants, the commandments, the revelations in the book is verse 22, so that mine everlasting covenant might be established, or we might say reestablished. In verse uh, 17, I think it is, he tells us uh, that he spoke to Joseph Smith, he called Joseph Smith and others out of heaven because the covenants had been broken. Uh, and he foresaw great calamities coming upon the earth. So the covenant had to be restored, renewed in the last days. So in some ways, it has everything to do with restoring the Abrahamic covenant.
0: And and I would add on there, it, it required the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ through Joseph Smith for the Abrahamic covenant to actually be fulfilled. And so we're seeing throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, just like Steve is saying, we're seeing a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant as these saints are following through with the covenants they are making with God. It's a great question. Steve, I really appreciate you bringing us also back into section one. Would you give us a little bit of the context of this section by itself? I'd love to. You might have to rein me
2: in because this, this is such a great story. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd like you to imagine a 24-year-old prophet who's never done this before. As opposed There's, to a
0: 95 year old or a 96 year old or 97 year old, yeah.
2: This is uncharted territory. He needs uh, revelation. The particular problem that presents itself to him is, he's received 60 plus revelations. And the missionaries need these revelations, right? The members of the church were, were scattered throughout the Northeastern United States and into the Midwest, but nobody's got a book of these revelations. So, you know, seems like a no-brainer, no right? We'll just publish the revelations. Well, we're living in a Protestant dominated country where the Bible is all the word of God there ever was and ever will need to be. And we've already got ourselves in a little hot water by publishing another Testament of Jesus Christ. And so Joseph brings the leaders of the church together and proposes, let's do another one. Let's publish another book, roll. this one of modern revelations. <laughs> people are yeah. gonna love it. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people will love it and a lot of people will not like it at all. Seems like a great idea. And then everybody in the room realizes, okay, we're being asked by a farmer in his mid-20s to publish revelations to him which are in the first person voice of Jesus Christ. And they command us all to repent They tell us that uh, the rebellious are in lots of trouble. They say that Missourians are our enemies. Uh, There's a lot of uncomfortable things in there, potentially. Do we really dare do this? And there's a terrific, uh, days-long council about this. As the brethren become completely convinced that this is the right thing to do, to publish the Revelations, the best writers in the room form a committee and they, they draft a preface. And then all of them look at it and say, that's, that won't do, that's not a suitable preface for the book of the Lord's commandments. And so Joseph sits near the window, and as he does, seeks prayerfully to know the mind of the Lord, and then he begins to speak slowly. And the Lord speaks through Joseph and says, this is my preface to the book of my commandments. This is my voice unto all. There's no ear that won't hear, no eye that won't see, no heart that won't be penetrated. All who will come may come. It is just a beautiful preface that wasn't the first revelation given. It was just meant to be the first one in the book.
0: And in a sense, Steve, and thank you so much of it. It's so exciting to think about it in that way. God is still speaking to Joseph even in something seemingly so to some insignificant, as, as a preface to a book. But this is more than just some preface. This is God speaking to his people. Yeah. It's fantastic.
1: All right, so maybe we can begin, uh, Stephen, in verse 30. Uh, it says, And also to those whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church and to bring it at forth out of obscurity and out of darkness, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about what it means to have a living church?
2: Well, it definitely is an ongoing restoration and that has everything to do with it. Let's let's note several things about this verse that, that lead up to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those to whom these commandments were given, that word commandments is used in this context differently than we typically use it today. Mm-hmm. It means a, a revelation. The mm-hmm. sections of the Doctrine and Covenants were called commandments. Mm-hmm to the early saints. And they're clear, full of what we think of as commandments, but uh, it's useful to pay attention to that word mm-hmm. in, its, in its original context. The
0: Book of Commandments even be
2: called that, right? Right. Yeah. The first iteration of what would be later become the Doctrine and Covenants, as Barbara knows, was called the Book of Commandments. Mm-hmm. And so these revelations were given so that Joseph and the others would have power to lay the foundation of this church and to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness. This, is a, this evokes a passage from the Revelation of John about the church being in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth is a controversial phrase, not particularly popular with everybody, and even sometimes Latter-day Saints feel a little squeamish about it, as if we're saying, I'm better than you, or we're better than you. It doesn't need to be understood that way, it couldn't be understood as great good news that we're obligated to share with everyone else, and that's certainly how the prophets have taught us to think about it. It also doesn't need to to be self-righteous. right To be a living thing uh, means that you're not necessarily fully mature, right? Mm-hmm. You could think of the church as a teenager uh, coming out of the wilderness. Gr- this verse gives us a church that's growing up and We don't grow up uh, perfectly and flawlessly and we make mistakes along the way and uh, the good thing is we're living, we're Mm -hmm. growing and uh, we're getting better. Mm -hmm. Uh, A living church, it's living because it receives the living voice of the living Christ. Mm -hmm. If you cut off the the flow of revelation, you have a dead church. Mm -hmm. If you have no apostles, then you have no church of Jesus Christ. To have a true and living church is to have a church that receives the revelations of Jesus Christ, that's led by mm-hmm. His authorized servants mm-hmm. and the members of which are struggling and striving mm-hmm. to do His will as best they can, imperfectly, mm-hmm. making mistakes all the time, but living.
0: Steve, we actually have a video with a question from an audience member that we'd like to play and if you could give us some feedback and you in the audience as well, if you'd like to comment on it, that would be great. Terrific.
1: Hi, my name is Allison MacArthur. I'm from Bakersfield, California. And my question is why do you think God has structured the restoration in a continual process rather than giving us all of the information at once, like when Christ established his church on the earth?
2: Ah. Uh,
0: so, Steve, start us <laughs> off.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Allison. Uh, terrific. One thing we sometimes do is assume. Uh, we might assume that Jesus gave the whole thing early on but there's no reason to assume that. There's no reason to assume that the church of Peter, James, and John was any more fully developed overnight than the restored church is. Brigham Young used an interesting word. He might have have made it up uh, himself, which is great. He said, capacitated. He said, we are not capacitated to receive it all at once. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And certainly Joseph Smith was not capacitated. I'm not. able to receive all God has to restore at once. Mm -hmm. So he chooses, for whatever reasons, to do it line upon line and bit by bit.
1: And as you were explaining kind of what the the Doctrine and Covenants is, I was reminded of, uh, so my training is primarily in early Christianity and, and New Testament. I was just thinking of the letters of Paul function almost exactly the same way. Paul goes to a community or he's writing with the leaders there. They have problems, they ask him, he's responding. So Revelation comes in accordance with the circumstances in which we find ourselves, right? And those circumstances change, and so does the revelation. And I think it's important to recognize that sometimes while what we have is true, it's also partial, right? We can always be looking forward to something more.
2: So what we're seeing in the Doctrine and Covenants, if I'm hearing you, Daniel, mm-hmm. is akin to mm-hmm. the, the Savior's church in the meridian of time. Not not different then, right. different in some ways, unique to historical circumstances, but a very similar pattern. Right, absolutely.
0: President Nelson also made a comment and kind of in response to this question. He says, we're witnesses to a process of restoration if you think the church has been fully restored, you're just seeing the beginning. There is so much more to come. Wait till next year, and then the next year, eat your vitamin pills, get your rest. It's going to be exciting. We've, we've heard this before, but it's a, it's a reminder from President Nelson that, that we're at the beginning. The church isn't even fully restored yet, and we're into it, you know, 200 years. So the Lord is continuing to give revelation and reveal his truth, and, and even the administration process for all of us as we're going through his, his church this time.
1: So this idea that that the Lord is continuing to reveal new things and that there's going to be revelation coming forth and this is a living church. We're continually receiving instruction. I'm wondering, is do you think it's okay to hope for change in the church? And do we have a, a role or responsibility to contribute to it?
3: Uh, absolutely. Change is good. Um, if this church is led by Heavenly Father and Jesus, and which it is, and we have leaders that are attuned to them, Change is good, and I celebrate it, and I think it absolutely has to happen because everything changes. Uh, families change, di- uh, language changes, everything changes. Yeah.
1: And I mean, just as you were saying that, I was thinking how important it is to, to, to be faithful to what we have now, but not so committed to it that we're not open to receiving more, right? And kind of striking that balance.
2: Uh, I agree with her comment that the change is good and we should look forward to it, but we should look forward to it coming from Christ. Mm-hmm. and that expect change to come through him and, and not be looking for it uh, from you know, other sources, that change in the church needs to be coming through the right channels.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for
2: that. I think it would be safe to say that section one teaches us that if you don't have change, then you have a dead church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't have a dead church. We have a living church. So we've had
1: an excellent discussion about what it means to have a true and living church. Now, let's turn to Doctrine and Covenants 1.1 and maybe really think about this word, the first word in the Lord's Preface, which is hearken.
0: President Nelson says the very first word in the Doctrine and Covenants is hearken. It means to listen with the intent to obey. To hearken means to hear him, to hear what the Savior says, and then to heed his counsel. When have you hearkened according to what what President Nelson is talking about. When have you heard the voice of the Lord or the voice of the Spirit and then you obeyed or you you asked a question with the intent to obey?
1: I'm in school, I usually want like 100%. So (laughs) on this test, I got four out of six and I said, no, I could do better. So I said a prayer, my teacher let me retake it and I got six out of six. And I feel like I got six out of six is because I like l- I guess listened to what he said, and like you got this, Anthony, and yeah,
0: so not only did you did you pray, Anthony and say, you know, Heavenly Father, I'd like to get six out of six, but it sounds like you put some effort into it yourself, yeah. Well, congratulations on that six out of six. I don't know if I ever got a six out of six. Yeah. I know I know, Daniel never has.
1: Nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Anthony, for sharing that. Does somebody else have, a, have an experience you'd like to share? I was in seventh grade. I grew up in Ohio, and um,
3: nobody in my school, elementary, junior high, high school, was LDS. I never heard of another individual besides my family. I was a very shy girl, and. Um, I heard my teacher say, now we're going to talk about a radical religious group. And I kind of seized up a little bit. And I'm like, please, please don't say Mormons. <laughs> then I heard him mention Joseph Smith, and my heart started pounding. And I actually remember looking up and trying to act like I didn't hear him because the Spirit, in fact, this is one of the things that really strengthened my testimony. It, I did not want to say anything at all, and I wondered why I was feeling what I was feeling so strong. And the spirit was pounding, just telling me, you need to say something. And I was looking around the room, and I was just, no, no. There's nothing wrong if I don't say anything. And the more I resisted, the more I felt just this pounding inside of me And as he spoke. And he was being kind of arrogant and cocky about Joseph and saying things that weren't true. And the spirit was just so strong inside of me that I immediately raised my hand. And when my hand was up and he looked at me, all of a sudden I froze. And he said, "You know, yeah, um, yes, Lorraine. And he came over and I just said, those things you were saying aren't true. And, and he said, so have you been reading about the Mormons? And I said, I am a Mormon. And all of a sudden the classroom goes, <gasps> and everyone gasped, which made my nerves <laughs> twice as bad. And he said, "Miss Barnhart, would you mind coming up in front of the classroom and telling us? And I don't remember what I said. I was grateful for the gift of the Holy Ghost because I remember that I was feeling... Confident in the moment, even though I was, I was terrified. And I, and I just remember the ending. I turned and looked at him, and I said, I know Joseph Smith was a true prophet. And he respectfully looked at me, and he said, Thank you, Miss Barnhart. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you for that. And that reminds me of something that's actually in, in D&C 1. So, for example, in verse 19, verse 23 and 24, God describes that he calls upon the weak and simple to accomplish his will. And I'm
2: wondering, Steve, can you talk a little bit about that? Whenever Joseph Smith starts to write a history, which he did a couple of times, Mm -hmm. he starts by telling us how awful it's going to sound. Mm -hmm. I never got a chance to go to school very much. Mm -hmm. He's very um, concerned about his literary inadequacies, Mm -hmm. especially, and, and other weaknesses that he feels he has. And so certainly, Joseph feels inadequate to the task of being the prophet of the last dispensation. And um, he's surrounded by people who are, in some ways, more talented than him, but none of them have a college education. Mm -hmm. None of them even have what we would call a high school education today. None of them are filthy rich. Uh, These people are ordinary, simple people, full of faith full of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we learned then is that the Lord Jesus Christ can make weak things strong. He can take Joseph Smith and turn him into a mighty prophet, a great, the greatest revelator the world has ever seen uh, because he hearkens. Mm-hmm. Excellent. We actually have a video I think that speaks to this. Hi, I'm Jenna from Caseville, Utah, and as I was reading, I was wondering, how can we hearken to the voice of the Lord when other voices are so much louder? That is such a great question.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but there, are, there is a lot of noise in this world. The Lord is still asking us all to hearken. I mean, you see these first few verses as you start in section one. He's saying, hearken, and then for verily, the voice of the Lord is unto all men, and you start seeing the voice of warning, and that is something I think throughout these revelations that the Lord is trying to help us to do is to learn to recognize His voice. Um, And I also take that as your affliction. So the noise of problems and stress and all these afflictions that I have and and I know everybody else has. And it's also, it's those afflictions and being able to go to the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, this is what I'm going through. So I'm gonna listen, and then that second part, which I've only learned the past few years, is the intent to obey. So whatever it is that you tell me, whether I I want that or not, that's what that's what I'm gonna do. Thank you so awesome. much. Thank
1: you for that. I have something to share about that. So in terms of how do we hear the the voice of the Lord when everything's so noisy? I, quite literally, I I unplug. I think we all live in a in a modern age, an age of technology. We're always listening to something. We have our you know, our, our phones or, or looking at, you know, social media or whatever. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I used to park, um, I, I was in, it was in North Carolina and it's, it's beautiful there in the spring. There's so many flowers and there's a garden by, by my school. And every day when I would walk through the garden, it'd take me about 10 minutes to get through it, but I would unplug everything and just try to enjoy nature and just try to feel God. Like it, it was, it was, it was super cathartic. And it was like, I didn't realize how noisy my life had gotten till I made, just deliberate, five, 10 minutes just to unplug and to feel.
0: In, In fact, President Nelson, in April of 2020, and he actually talks about that effort that is required of us. He actually says the following. He says, as we seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ, our efforts to hear him need to be ever more intentional. And then he continues, it takes conscious and consistent effort to fill our daily lives with his words, his teachings, and his truths. I appreciate you sharing that, Daniel, because sometimes we just think, you know, why isn't the Lord speaking to me? But a lot of times, at least in my life, uh, He is speaking. I just am not, I'm not listening. Um, I'm not paying the price. And I think that there there is a price to be paid often, not always, but often for us to be able to hear the Lord's voice.
2: It is easy to recognize that the world is competing against each other to be louder than the other. It seems like people think that the louder I am, the more that others will buy into what I have to say. I mean, we see that all over, and especially with technology today. And what I've learned with the uh, feelings of the Holy Ghost is it doesn't so much come in with the voice, but more of the feeling. And that feeling is a lot more powerful than the voice itself. I kind of want to echo what he's saying because we've all been given this great gift of the comforter to help us filter out the things that are true, that have real meaning, and things that we should hearken on to, whether member of the church or not, because I came to the church late in life, but I still had that guidance to filter out things that were untrue or that were harmful and to listen and really pay attention to the things that could help me, help my family get further along in life. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts we've been given.
0: There's no one that can't in some way recognize or hear the voice of the Lord if they try. God is speaking to us, as Steve was talking about before, in a language that Joseph could understand and that we can understand. That's a great comment. We've had a fascinating discussion today. Thank you so much, Steve, Uh, especially this last part about hearkening into the voice of the Lord and also before the, the living church. Thank you also for for helping us get this whole Doctrine and Covenants into context, and then specifically the section one. So thank you so much. We'd like to thank you as an audience as well. We appreciate your comments, your questions, your testimonies, uh, the experiences that you've shared. You've really enhanced our discussion today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to those of you at home, thank you for your comments and questions and insights that you've sent to us via social media. Uh, We'd love to see you in the studio sometime, but if you can't uh, come join us, uh, we hope you'll tune in next week on Come Follow Up.
0: It's going to be a great year. Yep, thanks. Thank you.